And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back, Prospects to Pros on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Dane Brugler. He's Lance Zerline. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody out there. I'm excited to talk a little Justin Fields today. We've got an intriguing national title matchup. And we also have the official draft order now with uh, the NFL regular season over, playoffs getting uh, ramped up this weekend. Uh, So plenty going on in the NFL world. I want to start by touching on my uh, all rookie team real quick, and you know, Lance, I know you had a, a chance to look at it. Uh, it there, some of these positions I thought were pretty easy. You know, there's a clear top guy, whether it was Justin Herbert or Chase Young or J- Justin Jefferson, but I, there were several uh, really tough calls that are debatable. You know, I, there are different opinions out there. It's very subjective. I, I wanted to. Ask your thoughts, Lance, starting with, uh, and we won't go over all these positions. Uh, you know, I did a, the top guy and then a runner up at each position. I want to start with the runner up at wide receiver. I mean, this was a historic draft class at the position and, and they didn't disappoint. And so, based on production, tape, impact, I went with Chase Claypool. But what say you? Who, who deserves that runner up spot uh, in your eyes? No, I would say Chase Claypool uh, is a good selection here. I do think CeeDee Lamb is is obviously um, worthy of discussion. LaVisca Chenault came on a little bit mm-hmm. at the end of the year. Brandon Ayuk, I think, was hurt with, you know, with the quarterback injury um, over there a little bit. And we see a lot to, to like about T. Higgins as well. And another guy I want to mention is Gabriel Davis, who I thought was a very intriguing player headed into the draft. He had some flashes. Obviously, Jefferson's the runaway, but Chase Claypool, to me, is the number two. I mean, not only was he productive, but he is playing a noticeable role for a team that had plenty of wins and has a real shot in the playoffs. So I think Chase Claypool, um, what you saw from him was his play is living up to the traits maybe a little more quickly than some people thought it would. Yeah, no question. And he he also led the league in pass interference uh, penalties that he attracted by, by the defense downfield. I mean, his impact, uh, I think, goes beyond just the stat line. And his, and, his, and his stat line was impressive. He led all rookie receivers in touchdowns. So uh, just a, a really, really talented guy who uh, is going to get better and better. Uh, it, Justin Jefferson, I mean, he just so impressive what he did this year. Um, yeah, remember a year ago at this time we were talking about how he was only in the slot and how would he transition outside? Okay, this year he lined up in the slot less than 25% of the plays. So, you know, one out of every four plays he was in the slot. Every other uh, snap he was outside, and he still, he broke Randy Moss's uh, uh, franchise record for rookie uh, receiving yards. Uh, he, he finished third in the league in receiving yards overall with 1,400 on the dot. I mean, just such an impressive year uh, by him. It's one of those rare kind of, you know, win-win 
trades by with the Bills getting Stephon Diggs and everything he meant for that offense this year. Uh, the Vikings got that first round pick and they need to you know, give a little hat tip to the Eagles for taking Jalen Rager one spot ahead, allowing Jefferson to fall in their laps. But just such a, a really impressive uh, wide receiver who you know, looks like he's going to be a good one. Yeah. And the other thing that we have to mention, I think, is that, you know, he had some issues at times during his career with contested catches, but he only had two drops. I mean, when the ball's to him, he's going to catch it. But being able to play through contested catches in the NFL and the physicality of the league, it's something that will take some time for a lot of wide receivers. And sometimes they really just don't adjust well to it at all. And to have two drops all season, I thought, I think is a really incredible stat for a guy with 88 receptions as a rookie playing against bigger, stronger, faster players. I, I, I just think that's, that's a stat that, that is worthy of mentioning as well. Oh, no question. It's a great stat. I mean, I posted this on, on Twitter this week. There were only three pass catchers in the NFL this year with over 85 catches and two drops or fewer. DeAndre Hopkins, Travis Kelsey, and then Jefferson. So I mean, wow. quite a group to be a part of uh, if you're that rookie. Uh, really impressive. I also wanted to mention Darnell Mooney uh, with what he did for the Bears this year. Really, I mean, I, I, I'll take the L on, on, on Mooney. He far uh, exceeded my expectations for him uh, as a pro so far. I uh, wanted to talk about offensive tackle next. Uh, for me, uh, and I, I think you agree, there was a clear top guy, and that's Tristan Wirfs. Um, I I know this sounds hyperbolic, but I, I think he's put himself in the conversation to be included. If we're going to lay out the top five tackles in the league, Tristan Wirfs has put has earned the right to be in that conversation to be considered. I don't, I'm not saying he for sure is, but his name at least needs to come up when you have that talk. And I don't say that lightly. Now, the runner-up at offensive tackle, that's where I really had a tough time. Mikai Becton, you know, he... It, he, he had a really good rookie year. Jedrick Wills, uh, you know, you and I both loved him as a prospect. My one issue with Wills is he led all rookies in penalties with 11. Um, only a rookie with double-digit penalties this year. That's something he needs to clean up. I went with Michael Onwenu from the Patriots. He, I initially had him at guard, but he started, I think, the last eight games, I think. Uh, or no, last 12 games all at tackle. So, I, I mean, he needed to be at tackle, and I, I thought he deserved that. I mean, he he... Even Bill Belichick has been surprised, uh, and, Bel- and Coach Belichick has even admitted that they they drafted him to be a backup guard, and uh, he came in and not only started a guard, but then moved out to tackle when they needed him to, and he never played tackle before, and he played at a high level for them. So you know uh, th- that is the reason why he got the runner up spot for me over Becton, over Wills, over this really talented tackle group. Is that something you agree with? You, you, would you have gone with some with one of the uh, other guys? I might have gone with one of the other guys, but I. Only because he only played half the season at tackle. Man, a little Mm -hmm. bit more than half the season. And they didn't have a great offense, but that had nothing to do with him. I mean, his performance, honestly, I loved his size, his physicality, his strength. I thought he had a chance to be an eventual starter at guard. To be able to play tackle at not only a functional level, but, but a starting level in the NFL for a guy who's a big strong heavier guard is really is really incredible. I, I would have never 
guessed <laughs> that this is the guy that could have played tackle for yeah. an NFL team or that you'd ever even try to get out of a game with him at tackle. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I don't have a problem with your choice here is because this was so highly unexpected. And for him to do that, for him to handle it, it doesn't mean he's going to be the best tackle. And I do think he's going to be a guard eventually. But it also gets to the point, the, the fact that another guard from last year who became a tackle this year, we're going to end up talking a lot about Elijah Vera Tucker. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes... Sometimes a guy just has the ability to swing out to tackle. They just have the footwork, and and it may not make a lot of sense when you watch them play um, along the interior. But there's something about the pass set. We've seen some. We've seen some guys look really, really fluid with their pass sets, who really don't move great, who aren't really. But there's something about the pass set. It's just a different movement, and you don't have to be the best athlete in the world um, necessarily to have a good, smooth quick pass set it's 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 just kind of an an unusual outlier from the past from the athletic uh, portfolio from time to time that you'll see yeah and having that versatility uh in your toolbox is is so important because it, it gives as an offense it, it gives you flexibility as the patriots go into this offseason they, they've got several needs that they need to address uh, including on the offensive line but with that, this knowledge now that they have a guy that is probably best long term inside a guard. Maybe he takes over for yeah, yeah uh, for uh, uh, Thune at left guard. But it, they can move him out to tackle if they needed to uh, in a pinch. And so that's you mentioned Vera Tucker. That that's what he offers. He's probably still best at guard. But if you need to move him outside the tackle, he has shown that he can hold up there. So absolutely, uh, that proven versatility is something that is uh, is really really important. That was part of the reason. Uh, I, I chose him for that spot. For I wanted to go to the secondary. Now, uh, both corner and safety were were tough tough calls. Um, yeah, at the top corner this year, I I went with Trevon Diggs. Um, you know he he had one of the lowest burn rates among these among corners. Uh, he did miss a couple games, but he still finished tied for the rookie lead in interceptions. Uh, he, he was one of only two rookies with double digit passes defended. Um, and he did it all with the, he only committed three penalties. And so there were some some low moments for him, like you would expect for any rookie corner. But I, I I didn't think there was a clear runaway winner here. And so when you know you look at Trevon Diggs and Legarius Sneed and Jalen Johnson, uh, Cam Dantzler started to pick up later in the year. Um, AJ Terrell played uh, fairly well, although I thought his low moments were so low that. I didn't consider him there, so I, I went with Diggs. I, I don't know that. Wh- wh- which corner do you think would you have gone with here for the top rookie corner that you saw? Uh, no, nah, you, you kind of have. I, I think you kind of have to go Diggs. Jalen Johnson did have some really good moments early in the season. I think Cam Dantzler really came on the second half of the season. Sneed missing all the time kind of hurts his cause. You know the disappointment here. I don't have a problem with with you taking digs there but it does speak to the fact that there was concern about what this overall high-end cornerback class looked like because it didn't really shake out I mean you don't have Gladney does not have a strong case to be top rookie Um, the disappointing one is clearly going to be Jeffrey Okuda right and only from a standpoint of you know, not making your number one or your number two. And, and I'm not saying you're wrong for that. So I think you want Akuda with all his traits to come out and play 
really good football right off the bat, and I think he was a little up and down. So um, this is it's. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this cornerback class fares moving forward because Fulton's part of a secondary that has struggled for the Tennessee Titans at times. Damon Arnett has had some issues with the Raiders, so we'll have mm-hmm. to see there. As I mentioned, Jeff Gladney and, and C.J. Henderson, the other guy who was taken inside the top 10. Henderson-Akuda, that combination really needs to step up and play much better. New head coaches, new GMs in both spots, but they really need to show why they were top 10 cornerbacks by next year. At safety, um, this was – it's a little bit of a different conversation, but it was still tough. Um, I thought there were four safeties, four rookie safeties that really played uh, above average uh, this year. And so it was tough to pick the winner and then the runner-up and then leave two guys out. I ended up going with Antoine Winfield as my top safety this year. Uh, he was just he was so good as a run defender for a guy that you know doesn't have all the measurables. He had 91 tackles. Uh, he had one of the lowest missed tackle rates uh, in all of the NFL. And he uh, played well well enough in coverage. Uh, he had the most defensive snaps of any rookie. Didn't commit a penalty. Uh, so for those reasons, I went with Winfield. And then for the runner-up, I did go with Jeremy Chin. All the versatility that he offered this year for the, for the uh, Panthers. He's the only... Uh, defensive player, uh, defensive rookie who had multiple touchdowns. So the impact that he made, I thought, was something that would propel him over Julian Blackman. And then Cameron Curl, seventh rounder for the for Washington, really stepped up especially late coming. in the season. No, I didn't either. And I mean, credit to him for uh, those impact plays. Now, he had some some lowlights as well, but the highlights, the impact plays, something that the, the Washington is going to take into the offseason as, okay, you know, I think we've got one of our starting safeties uh, set for next season. Yeah, he did a nice job. And Jeremy Chen is a guy I know that uh, you liked a lot. I mean, he was a phenomenal tester and athlete. Mm-hmm. So I didn't love the tape as much as other people did, but I respected the traits and the potential. Uh, Matt Rule and his staff did a nice job with Jeremy Chen. He was pretty consistent for most, most of the year. Blackman was a, a, a real surprise for me. And you and I have talked about him on this podcast. Coming back from the injury he had – and and playing, you know, um, playing that safety position where he looked heavy at Utah. I thought mm-hmm. he looked a little. I didn't like his last year of tape, and he really, I thought, came on this year and showed the potential that we'd seen earlier uh, from him. He's got great size, and I know the Colts couldn't be happier with the way that he played. So. It's a pretty interesting list of, of safeties. I would say the best is yet to come from Kyle Duger as well. Yep. That's a guy uh, to keep your eye on. I think Ashton Davis will have a bigger part moving forward, especially if Marcus May ends up leaving uh, the, the Jets. And Xavier McKinney had a big interception the other day against Cowboys. I think McKinney is a guy that next year uh, we could see make a little bit noise, a little more noise as well. Yeah, and I'll throw Brandon Jones' name in there as a intriguing nickel player, uh, and then Jordan Fuller with the Rams. Um, you know, eager to see if he can. You know, if this is kind of has he hit his ceiling as a football player? Can he continue to get better? So yeah, this has turned into a safety class with that. It's a you know a lot of promise uh, moving forward, which is good news for a lot of teams. All right, so that was the all rookie team for the full all rookie team. Uh, check out my article on the Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I really want to pivot now to the college game. And, you know, let's get into this Alabama-Ohio State national title game. And there's nowhere else to start other than Justin Fields. Uh, such a fascinating topic because the buzz this week in the NFL scouting community has been all about Fields. Uh, for a lot of scouts, BYU Zach Wilson passed him uh, to be the favorite, to be that number two quarterback drafted. But Fields' performance in the Sugar Bowl, the best game we've seen from him, that could sway opinion uh, around the league. And I, I think if you were to give NFL scouts truth serum, they would admit that while body of work certainly matters, how you perform on the big stage against premium opponents, that carries a little extra weight. So all right, Lance, first, do you agree with that, what I just said about maybe these games, these big stages, carrying a little bit extra? And then second, what was your reaction to Fields' performance against Clemson? Well, so I've, I've got a few reactions here. Number one, yes, absolutely. I know whenever I scout, I want to see how you play against the best competition. I want to see what you do. 
in the biggest games. I think one of the knocks on Zach Wilson, I just finished him, and I think one of the big knocks on him moving forward is this amazing season he had. Um, you know, he's one in four against ranked teams over the last two years, or maybe three years since he's been a starter. And he beat up on lesser teams this year. There's no question. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, that you know, is murderer's row over there for uh, Justin Fields, but he beat a Clemson team and really demolished a Clemson team that that has a history of winning and 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 being highly competitive. Not only did he demolish him in the first half, he demolished him in the second half. I shouldn't say he demolished him, but he pl- he still hung in and played pretty well, even with a a pretty rough injury from taking that hit. Um, to come back and play the the way he did after a couple straight games of being down over there and not playing his best football. The Indiana game wasn't great. The Northwestern game wasn't great. They'd begun to to really pop up a lot of issues and concerns about Justin Fields as you as you laid out previously and and whether or not he was even a second quarterback. But I thought the way he answered that in that game and the way he threw the ball, his toughness, his poise, and really his determination and confidence in that setting. I thought that was a really big deal because remember, he's got the bug of, he he didn't play poorly against Clemson last year, he hmm. just had a, a, an interception that wasn't his fault late in the game, and I that could have haunted a lot of players. You add to that, you, I thought Clemson was going to storm back in the second half. I was like, okay, halftime, this is where Trevor Lawrence and that team storms back. Now you've got an injured you know, and injured Justin Fields, this thing is going to swing the other way. But it didn't happen, and a big part of that was Trey Sermon. But another big part of it was the way that Fields just simply wouldn't let it happen. And, of course, the biggest part is probably they got their asses kicked in the trenches by Ohio State, which is a separate conversation. But to your point, Fields looked apart. He looked confident. He was productive. He played hurt. He showed leadership. He looked like an NFL leader out there in a game against the guy that people have already, you know, have already anointed as the generational quarterback. And it was, it was fields who doesn't have the same traits, obviously as uh, Trevor Lawrence, pretty much nobody does, but he's the one out there who looked like he was dealing. Now he didn't take on much pressure. They did a hell of a job mm-hmm. of protecting him. Yeah. Zero pressures uh, by the the tackles really impressive job by them. Ohio state definitely won in the trenches that was one of the storylines. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said about Fields. Um, and I would even say that it's not. It wasn't even just the Indiana and Northwestern games, even though he was b- below average in those games. Uh, the two toughest defenses he faced, but also, you know, you throw on Michigan State, you throw on Penn State. Uh, he's making mistakes that he just you don't expect from a player you're considering with a top three pick to make. And it comes down right. to the offense that Ryan Day has at Ohio State is it's it's so based on matchups and his ability to hit his preferred read and take advantage of those matchups. Um, whether it's finding the void in the defense, it's finding the vulnerable spot, the vulnerable uh, matchup. And he, I think, you know, if you're Justin Fields, you are so reliant on that because it works that when it's taken away, which that's what Indiana did, that's what Northwestern did, that's what Clemson wasn't able to do, when it's taken away, you have trouble sometimes resetting and finding that outlet or move, going through your progressions. And even against Clemson, he, he, watching the tape, he was still going to his initial read on almost all of his passes. Uh, it just Clemson couldn't do anything to stop it, which, I mean, still, I'm not trying to take anything away from Fields. His toughness and his accuracy in that game were tremendous. Um, he understood... 
you know, when his he needed his fastball, when he needed to, you know, put a little bit more loft on the football. The downfield throws were amazing. The Clemson defense was just abysmal, especially in the secondary, allowing the Ohio State receivers to get behind them, not getting any pressure um, on the quarterback, uh, letting Trey Sermon just continue his uh, tirade uh, the last three or four games. Just so impressive uh, by that offense as a whole and the play calling. So it, it really makes that quarterback two conversation fascinating with Fields because you have a guy like Zach Wilson, and I think you set it up exactly the way it is. It, he... There's no way you can dispute the lack of top-level competition that he faced this year. You know, the, the toughest opponent was a really good Coastal Carolina defense, and they lost that game. Even though, I, I watching that tape, I thought it was a solid game for Wilson. It wasn't a great game, but it wasn't a bad game for him. I thought it was solid. He, you know, his uh, receivers let him down quite a bit. He, I thought, did everything he could, especially on that final drive. But overall, it just really makes it interesting. And that puts a lot more pressure on this game. How does Justin Fields perform uh you know what's his encore against probably a better defense but also a defense that gave up you know almost 50 points to uh Kyle Trask uh in the SEC title game so you know what it reminds me of is Deshaun Watson a couple years ago when Deshaun Watson his final year at Clemson he wasn't great he threw a lot of interceptions uh you know they lost that pit game But then when it mattered the most, you know, they shut out Ohio State in the semifinals. Then against Alabama, they they win that game, including that game winning drive with in the final seconds. So Deshaun Watson, even though he didn't have a great regular season, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't, you know, necessarily up to his standards. But when it mattered the most in the the playoff, he stepped up, he showed up and obviously um, he, he wasn't even a top 10 pick. Teams uh, doubted him, and we've seen how that's worked out uh, for the teams that have, have faced Deshaun Watson. Yeah, but we're also such a you know we're such a society of recency bias. I mean, the entire year Devontae Smith has been the best player in college football, and I yeah. mean it was just a matter of continue to stack it up. But it was oh wait a minute, it's Kyle Trask, it's Kyle Trask, and Kyle Trask gets beat. It's Mac Jones, it's Mac. Devontae Smith was doing the same stuff all year long. He <laughs> Devontae Smith was the best. It never changed. And then all of a sudden, you know, oh, Justin Fields is no good. Justin Fields is great. Should yeah. we be talking about Justin Fields versus Trevor Lawrence now? No, we shouldn't. Stop. No. Like, like d- d- the okay, I have not written up Justin Fields. I haven't watched all the tape. I did watch and write up uh, Zach Wilson yesterday, okay? But what I'm going to say is this recency bias is what creates the wild swings in, in perceptions of players, and it's something that causes people to say, this guy can't play at all, and then this guy's really, really good. Like the yeah. same guy, Baker Mayfield has changed the game forever. Baker can't play. Baker's got it back. Baker's no good. It's Kyler Murray it's has changed football forever. <laughs> uh, look at Lamar Jackson. It, the, the football's never going to be the same again. This is going to be the first 4,000, 1,000 quarter. No, it's not. Now they're running like a triple option because Lamar's not the same passer. You mm-hmm. have to – you can't – the recency bias of a game or two games cannot overtake and overweigh the projection. Here, here, to your point, yes, there's similarities to what Deshaun Watson did. The big difference – Deshaun is a wizard of extending plays and pulling something out of nothing. And that's not Justin Fields. That's, that's very few quarterbacks who have that. And so no matter what Fields does, there's still an X factor that, that Deshaun Watson brings to the, to the game that, frankly, Trevor Lawrence has some of that in his bag. He doesn't have to use it a whole lot because he's, 
you know, he's had pretty good protection and, and he typically works from the pocket. That Joker's going to run really, really fast. And yeah. we've seen him make some big, big plays. So there's another conversation we can have on another podcast about if Trevor Lawrence, the phrase generational talent is really, uh, or generational quarterback, if that is a little bit of hyperbole, we can do that at another time because I think it really deserves to be fleshed out. But Justin Fields really proved something to me. However, I'm not going to lose my mind. The rest of the tape matters too. Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think you just said generational talent, right? Uh, is that is that what you said initially about well, uh, Trevor said, Lawrence? Yeah, I said is he is he truly a generational talent? He has generational traits, but yeah, you know, and, I, and I think that's I, almost I, a yeah. I know. I think you, you. I don't think you meant to necessarily, but I think you just hit the nail on the head with Trevor Lawrence. Is I don't think he's a generational quarterback, but he is a generational talent because yes. they're just guys like that aren't walking through the door. They're uh, two different you know. things. They're two exactly. different things. Two very different things. And you know, I, I, that he's still going to go number one, and uh, he did officially declare today. Trevor Lawrence will be part of the 2021 draft class, just like we expected. Uh, and it would be an absolute shock if he's not the number one pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But yeah, we, we will get more into Trevor Lawrence. I know, you know, I, I still have more. I want to watch you Ohio State tape. Um, I've watched you Ohio State tape for Ohio State. I have not watched it for Clemson just yet. But I, you know, we'll, we'll get on into that more on another podcast. I do want to focus more Alabama, Ohio State. So, okay, let's spin it forward now. Uh, obviously, next week we'll review what happened in the national title game, but if Fields goes out there and has another big time performance, just like he did against Clemson, I mean, how do you how do you weigh a you know just a ordinary regular season where he let you down, let you down, w- want to see more? You know, why is he why is he you know being so slow going through his reads? Why is he not doing this? But then turns it on in these past two games, it really creates a conundrum for evaluators because. You know, it, it would be awfully tough to say no to Justin Fields based off of two big time games when it mattered the most. Yeah, I agree with you. And I was thinking the same thing. If he and now listen, this isn't the best Alabama secondary by any stretch of the imagination. No. In fact, I would say that the expectation should be, and I know he's dealing with some injury, but Olave is back. He wasn't there for the Northwestern game. Maybe you could point to that a little bit as to why he didn't play as well. I know he, I guess, had a thumb issue too. But I think the expectation should be that Justin Fields has a strong game against Alabama. Because if you're going to be competitive, you're going to have to. Your mm-hmm. defense surely isn't good enough. I know what you did to to Clemson's offensive line. You ain't doing that to the Joe Moore Award winners at Alabama. Mm-hmm. I can promise you that, even without uh, uh, Landon Dickerson. You're not you're not going to do that to them. He's going to have time to throw, and you're going to have to stop at least Smith and Meachie and maybe even Waddle. We'll see how that goes. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have to stop Najee Harris out of the backfield and on the ground with a much better run-blocking unit. So, I think you're going to have to score a lot of points to stay in the game. The over-under 75, which is insane historically. <laughs> if you think of a Big Ten game versus an, a Big Ten team versus an SEC team, and we've got a – it looks like an old-school Hawaii versus Washington State over-under, yeah. but that's where we are in college football now. Um, so you really do need to light up Ohio State – I mean, um, Alabama, if you are uh, Justin Fields. But if he does that, what I would say, Dane, is Bucky – Brooks, I did a podcast with Bucky Brooks on Move the Sticks earlier this week, and he made a really good point. He said, I got burned on, 
and, and I got burned on Herbert on this one too, uh, I guess really on both of them, on Justin Herbert and Josh Allen for not grading the flashes and just grading the overall tape. And mm-hmm. sometimes you have to grade the flashes. Now, the big difference is those guys, um, you know, both, I would say, have better physical traits than Justin Fields. But if you step up to the occasion, and half the thing in, in the NFL is mental. Like, do you have yes. the mental toughness and wherewithal to compete on that stage? I think it should matter. And, and, and I think it does matter. And I think that's where the Deshaun Watson comparison comes in is the mental toughness to do it in back-to-back seasons against Alabama and to turn one of them into a win. Man, if Fields could do that here in this situation, that would really, I think, lock him into the Jets at number two. Yeah, and it's hard to disagree because uh, if he's able to do that, and you're right, so much about the, evaluating the position is comes down to the mental side and the mental toughness, the mental capacity, um, the ability to play quick. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick is not just physically he's quick, he does everything quick. His yeah. ability to quickly you know, understand what's happening and quickly fire off a strike uh, it just it, it's so easy for him. Where with Justin Fields, that's not what he put on tape. Uh, you know, whether against Michigan State or Indiana or Northwestern, I, I mean, he was holding the ball too long and just staring lasers through his intended target and not really just waiting for it to come open. And then against Clemson, he still was doing uh, you know quite a bit of that, but he just he was a lot more efficient with how he was you know moving around, spreading the ball around, having the full uh, range of weapons, having Olave back certainly helped. But it, it's really going to set up a, a really intriguing matchup because uh, Alabama's a better defense; they're going to be able to put a little bit better pressure on the pocket. Um, they're going to I think will do a better job slowing down Trey Sermon in that run game. For Ohio State, but I think that brings me to okay. Let's let's back off Fields and just because there's, there's so much talent in this game that you know we could talk about. These two programs have combined for the most draft picks over the last five years, uh, 93 total, which is just ridiculous. These two teams are football factories. So I want to uh, put it up to you, Lance. What other player? Let's take the quarterbacks out of it, Fields and Mac Jones. What other player uh, on either side do you think can help themselves the most? Uh, with a strong performance uh, Monday night? Ooh, you know, I would say one of those guys could be Jonathan Cooper. Mm, yeah, defensive end. I think, I think Cooper is a guy, he had a, good, he had a good outing last time around, and I think Cooper against that offensive line is one guy that could, that could maybe help himself. I mean, it's relative, but I think he could help himself. And then I'm going to throw a guy out there that I'm a fan of, and mm. I think a good game here – would really help, and that's Deontay Brown, who is the the big, heavy uh, right guard, I believe, for yep. Alabama. He's been fantastic with Landon Dickerson next to him, and now Landon was out for the last game. But Deontay is a very technically sound guard. Um, he is in the body type mold, a little bit of uh, Michael Nwenu from uh, – I think he wore the weight a little bit better from Michigan, but the same kind of big, wide – physical guard who can really run block but I think I think Brown is a is a more technically sound player and I think he's more consistent than Awenu and I think that a, a big game here when evaluators start looking at this offensive line and they see what he did against Notre Dame and they see uh what he's able to do against Ohio State if he has a big game granted there's not 
you know, some unbelievable first pick of the draft talent on the interior at Ohio State. But if you're getting guys moved around and you're part of an offensive line and then with no Landon Dickerson next to you, if you're right. able to open, you know, open running lanes for Najee Harris to control a game, I think that could really help him, um, especially with Nwainu, a bigger 360-pound guy having success in the league. So that's kind of off the beaten path as well. I'm not going to say – Devontae Smith or Sean Wade's not going to help himself. I'm done saying that's just not going to happen. Exactly. Tough Borland is who he is. That's not, you know, that stuff's not changing. I think, I think you need guys who have had a certain type of season to really get pushed into the forefront of a little more attention. And that's why I was looking at Deontay Brown, number 65 uh, for Alabama. Well, in Clemson, they didn't have many answers for Tommy Togiai, the defensive tackle for the Buckeyes. No, he was really good. Yeah. Yeah, Him him and Haskell Garrett have had, you know, I don't think either are first round picks, but you know, they are really good college players who will uh, give uh, Brown uh, a good, uh, a good barometer for, for evaluators, especially with, like you mentioned, without Dickerson right there next to him. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, hold on, hold on. on. The answer, I'm guessing you're going to say Sermon. I wasn't, but I think that's another good one. Because if Sermon does this now three straight games. Right. It's it's Zeke all over again. I've already changed my – I've already had to alter my scouting report. I didn't want to get too yeah. far off, but I had to because he yeah. looks like the guy saw at Oklahoma now. I'm like, yeah. wait a minute. He looks, he looks is, better. I didn't see this in the tape at Ohio State this year. No. No, and look, I, he he had an injury in the off season. You know the the pandemic, and you know not being able to practice with a new playbook, new teammates, all of that contributed. But yeah, this is like a, a Zeke run that we've seen. What what you know Zeke did that 2014 uh, season against Wisconsin, and then Alabama, and then Oregon. Trey Sermon, uh, he's been on a tear these last three games, and if he could do it against Alabama. I mean, the body balance is so impressive. He's always falling forward. He's an impact player in the screen game. Uh, The determination that he's been showing is just like, it's like he's like, no one can stop me and I know it. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep going. He's feeling it right now. Yeah, he is. There's, there's, there's no question. Um, No, I'm going to, two guys, one for Ohio State, one for Alabama. For Ohio State, I'm going to say Chris Olave because I think the top three receivers in this draft are pretty set. Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. After that, there, there. That's where the debate, I think, really starts. Uh, you know, Darius Tony's in that mix. You know, Terrace Marshall, Bateman, maybe for uh, for some people. But Chris Olave's right there in that second tier of receivers. And if you know the the difference that he makes for that Ohio State offense, says a lot about him as a player. Uh, he, he has sweet feet. He's very good at creating separation. He has very, very good ball skills. He understands how to get open with his routes. You know, he's there, there's just so much to like about him as a talent. He's not doesn't have the best body type. He's you know 6'1", 190 pounds, very, very lean, wiry type of player. But uh, when you have the the movement skills like that, and you're reliable catching the ball, and you mean that much to your offense, to your quarterback, that that's something that that's saying something. And in this game. Whether he's facing Sertan or Job, probably the best corner he'll face all year. So to see if he can do this, if he can get open against those uh, those two corners, I think would certainly help him uh, maybe be one of the top five receivers in this class. Uh, it, it certainly wouldn't hurt. And then the other guy for Alabama is Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle. And mm-hmm. you know, we, yeah, good we've call. Seen, we, 
We've seen this before with Alabama defensive tackles. Marcel Darius had a big uh, performance in the national title game when he was coming out. Uh, Deron Payne, with what he did in the playoffs that year, was uh, phenomenal. It could be the same thing with Barmore, who he's been my top defensive tackle uh, since the summer, but it was based more on potential and traits and not necessarily production. Only a redshirt sophomore. The talent is obvious. I mean, his movement skills, his power— and it's, it's really starting to click for him now. Um, you know, he's down the stretch the second half of the year. He's become a full, uh, full-time starter. He leads a team in sacks with seven, leads a team in forced fumbles with three. He, he's, you know, the light bulb's really coming on for him and as he puts everything together. And so with, uh, uh, you know, going up against Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, Ohio State's uh, talented interior uh, line, if he's able to have a big-time performance, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy that maybe – Maybe we're talking about him as a, a top 25, top 20 pick, you know, with another big time game uh, before he uh, makes the jump. First of all, you have to see if he makes a jump because I remember when yeah. uh, Raekwon Davis, I thought he was coming and he didn't come. Nick's pretty talented at getting guys to come back and talking guys into it. So we'll see how that one goes. But it worked you out right. well for uh, Devontae Smith and Najee Harris, both oh, those worked guys. Out, worked out yeah. great. And I think it actually worked. ended up working out for Raekwon Davis as well. We'll see. Yeah, but I think he fair. ended up in a great spot. But it 100%, it was huge for Devontae Smith. And, and I think ultimately, we'll see if he's the first wide receiver off the board. You mentioned something, though, Wyatt Davis, right? So Wyatt Davis, I think the hype exceeds the tape right now. Uh, mm-hmm. At least the name recognition exceeds the tape. He was not as good this year as he was last year. He doesn't play very wide. This is a big game for both of those players because this is one of those games that could really, really hurt or really, really help a guy like Wyatt Davis. And similarly, if you whip Wyatt Davis or have a big game, it's really, really going to help Barrymore. So uh, figuring it's every once in a while, Dane, we get these matchups where hopefully they're heads up plenty but every once in a while we get these matchups and I know you look for it on tape the same way I do I want to get to I want to see what what you look like against another pro prospect and so I seek these out and sometimes you get matchups where okay this is going to really tell me about who you are and who you are as a player and that's potentially uh this matchup this this upcoming game yeah, and I tell you what, we we don't know what's going to happen this pre-draft process um, with a lot of you know. Ho- hopefully, the Senior Bowl goes goes on. Um, you know, it's it's slated to. It should. Hopefully, it does. We don't know any details about the combine just yet. But I tell you what, the combine starts Monday night. I mean, that is a little bubble that NFL scouts are going to be glued to. And Sertan versus Olave. Yeah, the the impact of that game from a scouting perspective is really going to matter. So. Team or these players, there's a lot of future pros on those rosters, and they need to treat this like the first step uh, of their uh, NFL draft process, whether they come out or not, because there's going to be a lot of weight uh, put on this game. So it's going to be a lot of fun Monday night. I know there's been talks about, you know, COVID issues. Hopefully, you know, at this time we're taping this on Wednesday afternoon. Hopefully, um, you know, that's that, that's not the case. Uh, we'll find out. But uh, looking forward next week, Lance, when we hop back on here to review the game, what happened, uh, you know, who helped themselves, who maybe hurt themselves. But, you know, it should be a lot of fun. So that'll do it for this week's Prospects of Pros. Uh, Lance at uh, Lance Zerline on Twitter. I'm at DP Brugler. As always, please subscribe, rate, comment. We really do appreciate it. And we will talk to you next week.